And so if you want a competitive advantage over everybody else in your industry, over everyone else in your world, get this skill. Learn how to be indistractable because there is no area of your life, whether it's your physical health, your mental health, your relationships, everything requires you to be able to control your attention. This is fundamentally how we choose the life we want to live. Welcome to another episode of Success Through Failure. This is your host, Jim Harsho Jr. And today I bring you Nir Ayal. Do you get motivation, clarity, or inspiration from the Success Through Failure podcast? Then don't be so selfish. Share the motivation with your friends. Go to jimharshojr.com slash share, and there you'll find a simple page with just three buttons. One to share the podcast on Twitter, one for Facebook, and one for LinkedIn. Click any of the buttons, and you'll have the option to either share the pre-written tweet or message or rewrite your own. That's it. Super simple. It'll just take a few seconds Unless you're selfish and you want to keep all of this awesome inspiration to yourself, go ahead and let your friends in on the secret. They'll thank you. And if nothing else, you'll have something cool to talk about the next time you get together. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash share. Nir writes and consults and teaches about the intersection of psychology, technology, and business. He has taught at Stanford School of Design and Stanford School of Business. He also co-founded and sold two technology companies. And the MIT Technology Review named him the, quote, profit of habit-forming technology. Here's the interesting part. He's also the author of two best-selling books. One is called Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. And on the other side, he wrote a book called Indistractable how to control your attention and choose life. So he's uh, researched and seen this from both sides, and he is just a wizard at how to stay focused or stay in traction, right? Getting traction into doing the things that you want to do. Um, so it's a fascinating interview, fascinating conversation we have. I mean, his book, Indistractable, has received tons of critical acclaim. It's like one of the best you know, leadership books of the year by Amazon, one of the best personal development books of the year by Audible. It's been called the best business book of 2019 by The Globe. So it's a great book. And we go into some of the strategies, but also specific tactics for how to become indistractable. And he actually references episode 231. I, I interviewed Dr. Stephen Hayes. He re references ACT, which is acceptance and commitment therapy or acceptance and commitment training. So that is a, a great partner episode. If you listen to this and you like it, go back and listen to episode 231. So Nir also, he blogs at nearandfar.com. I'll have the link in the action plan. Go to jimharshawjr.com slash action. Uh, he also, his writing has been featured in the New York Times, the Harvard Business Review, Time Magazine, Psychology Today. Uh, he's also an investor in tons of habit-forming technologies, right? So so he gets this from both sides and he is an absolute master at this. So check out this interview. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend, send them a link, tell them to check out the Success Through Failure podcast. And by the way, you can always listen to this on your smart player. Just tell your smart player to play Success Through Failure podcast. All right, let's get into my interview with Nir Ayal. You are a wizard of habit-forming technology. You also teach people, on the other hand, how to mitigate the effects of this habit-forming technology. How did you end up on both sides of the fence? Different products. So we can have good habits around the technology that helps us get to the gym or helps us form a habit around learning a new language, uh, help us be more productive at work, helps us connect with our family. And we can also break the bad habits that we don't want with technology. So different products is the easy answer. 
Yeah. You said that, this is a quote from you, you said that we are slaves to the urgent at the expense of the important. Slaves to the urgent at the expense of the important. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So, you know, I think what we see happening today is that many people struggle with uh, the fact that day after day they run real fast in the wrong direction, that uh, they don't understand distraction. You know, and if you ask most people, uh, do they know what the word means? What is distraction? They'll say, oh, yeah, I totally. It's one of those words everybody thinks they understand. But then when you really press them on it to see if they really understand what the word means, uh, you, get a, you get a response similar to what I thought, which was that I didn't really get the word. And the best way to understand if you know what distraction is, is to ask yourself whether you know what distraction is not. Do you know the opposite of distraction? Most people will tell you the antonym of distraction is focus, but that's not exactly right. The opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction, if you look at the origin of the word, is traction. That both traction and distraction come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. And you'll notice they both end in the same six letters, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action. So traction, by definition, is any action that pulls you towards what you said you were going to do, things you do with intent, things that help move you closer to your values and help you become the kind of person you want to become. The opposite of traction is distraction. Distraction is any action that pulls you farther away from what you plan to do, further away from your goals, further away from becoming the kind of person you want to become. So this is really important. This isn't just semantics. This makes a big difference. And here's why. Because any action can be traction or distraction. Let me give you an example. For years, I would go to my desk at work, I'd sit down, I'd look at my to-do list, and I'd say, okay, I see there's that big project that I need to work on that I've been procrastinating on. I'm not going to delay anymore. I'm going to get started right now, right here. Here I go. I'm going to get started. But first, let me just check some email, right? Let me just uh, do a couple of those other things on my to-do list, the easy stuff real quick. Let me get that out of the way first. Let me just check that Slack channel. Why? Because that's work stuff right? Checking email, that's a work-related task. It's okay, right? I'm still being productive, right? Wrong. Anything that is not what you plan to do with your time is by definition a distraction. And those types of tasks, the kind of tasks that trick you into prioritizing the urgent at the expense of the important is the most pernicious form of distraction because you don't even realize you're distracted. Until the end of the day rolls around, you say to yourself, wait, what did I do all day? I still didn't do that big project that I said I was going to do. Another day goes by and I didn't make my sales calls. I didn't work on that uh, blog post. I didn't work on that big project that I keep delaying on because I got distracted, even though I was busy all day. What happened? So anything can be a distraction, even the work stuff, because distraction tricks us into prioritizing the urgent at the expense of the important. We do the easy stuff, the, the, the urgent stuff. When what we really need to do is the hard work that moves us forward in life. Sometimes the stuff that's not always urgent, but is just as important to move us forward in life. So anything can become a distraction. Conversely, anything can be traction. So I am not one of these chicken little tech critics that you hear today saying technology is melting your brain. Stop using social media accounts. Uh, one of these professors who's never been on social media telling you from their ivory tower, stop using email. Give me a break. Are you serious? People will get fired if they stop using these technologies. Very easy for you to say when you don't need them for your job. But many of us rely on these technologies. We can't tell people, stop using technology. What kind of stupid advice is that? What we need to do is to realize that these technologies are great, right? Social media is not 
hijacking your brain. This is ridiculous. We can use these tools. And frankly, we need to stop medicalizing and moralizing the use of technology and realize that these things are just tools. You want to play video games? Great. You want to go on social media? Awesome. You want to watch videos on YouTube? Do it, but do it with intent. Use the product. Don't let the product use you by deciding in advance how you will use those products. Use them on your schedule, not anybody else's. And so anything can, be, anything can be traction or distraction based on one word. And that one word is intent. I don't feel we're prepared for that. I'm 45. I saw the evolution of social media in my life. And I am not prepared. I have was not equipped. I feel like I am equipped now because this is what I do. I'm a, I'm a personal performance coach and I help people, you know, use these philosophies to be intentional about how they spend their time. And we talk, I'm constantly coaching with around, around productivity and consistency, et cetera. But I don't feel like we're prepared, right? I don't feel like the world in general is prepared. And so people don't use these technologies with intent. They use them by default, right? They're bored for a, a split second. I'm saying they, me too, right? I'm still in this boat and I still fight these battles. I have guardrails and I have strategies and tactics that I use, but I generally think that people aren't prepared for this. Do you agree or, or what are your thoughts on that? Hello, ring, ring. This is your wake up call. I wrote this book. It took me five years. I researched every bit of science around focus and distraction. The answer is right there. All you gotta do is read the book. And I promise you, if you spend an hour and a half with my book and you read through this five years of research, I promise you, unless you have a pathology, unless you have some kind of disorder, you will become indistractable. And if you don't become indistractable, if you don't do something about this problem and just complain about it, you will be part of this bifurcation that we see happening today between people who let their time and attention be controlled by others and people who stand up and say no more. I will control my time. I will control my attention. I will become indistractable. This is the skill of the century. If you think the world is distracting now, just wait a few years. This is not going backwards, people. How many times can we complain about social media this and Twitter that and the news this and the modern world and so stressful, so distracting? Do something. It's in the book. <laughs> so this is exactly the wake up call for folks is instead of just complaining about it, saying, oh, look, our kids keep playing video games. Meanwhile, we all sit around the table and let our kids play video games at the table. Right? We say, oh, we just oh, don't get enough done at work. Uh, we just can't keep up. But are we doing something about it or do we complain? And so the thing is, if you hold your breath, you're going to suffocate. The government is not going to fix this. The social media companies are not going to fix this. They are in business to turn your time and attention into money. That is what they do for a living. I know how they get you hooked. I wrote the book Hooked, and I can tell you all their tricks. No doubt about it. They are monetizing your eyeballs. And guess what? It's not just the social media companies. It's traditional media companies. Fox News, CNN, New York Times, they're all in the same business model. They don't care how much content you've consumed. Netflix could care less if you spend all day watching television shows. They're not going to tell you you've had enough. 
Just like your local baker is not going to tell you, you know, hey, stop eating so many croissants, right? <laughs> it's not their job. The local baker's job is to make delicious treats. These media companies' job is to make good products. We want them to do this. We want these social media products to be engaging. What are we going to tell? Hey, Apple, your phones are way too user-friendly. Can you please make them harder to use? Hey, Netflix, your shows, they're really good. I want to watch them. Please stop that. It's not going to happen, folks. We have to do something about this right now by ourselves because nobody's going to fix this for us. And so if you want a competitive advantage over everybody else in your industry, over everyone else in your world, get this skill. Learn how to be indistractable because there is no area of your life, whether it's your physical health, your mental health, your relationships, everything requires you to be able to control your attention. This is fundamentally how we choose the life we want to live. And really, this isn't new, right? This has been going on you know, since the advent of radio, television, every new technology. I mean, before that even as well. I mean, newspapers. I mean, it, yeah, this is- Keep going. Yeah, keep going all the way back to Aristotle, right? Literally, Aristotle talked about how the written word, this terrible new technology of writing things down, was going to, quote, enfeeble men's minds. Plato talked about akrasia, the tendency that we have to do things against our better interests. People have been struggling with distraction since time immemorial, right? Plato said this 2,500 years before the internet. People think it's the internet that, got, that gets them distracted. It is the latest way to deflect responsibility for doing something about this problem. If you're listening to this interview right now, own it. I mean, own it. If you know that your distraction is causing you pain or problems or lack of productivity, lack of consistency, lack of being who you want to be in the world, do something about it. I mean, the first thing you can do is buy the book and start there, but you've got to own this because yeah, you're right near it. It's not getting any easier. They're not going to make things less interesting for us to uh, be less hooked on these technologies. And, and it's not just with technology. No, I started the book thinking it was just about technology. And the more I got into it, I realized, wait a minute, not only is the problem not new, there's all kinds of distractions in the world, right? It's not just social media. It could be television. It can be work. You know, we talked about the difference between traction and distraction. We all know that person who spends way too much time in the office, and that's a distraction from being a part of their kids' lives or being a member of their community, having any friends, right? We know these people who exercise in the gym way too much, and they do it at the expense of everything else in their life. Anything can be a distraction. So my goal is not to tell people what to do with their time. I'm not here to tell you stop using the internet. That's ridiculous advice. I'm here to tell you whatever it is you want to do with your time, I'm going to help you do by helping you live your life according to your values and your schedule, not somebody else's. Psychologists tell us that the only reason why we do something is to avoid pain. Is that why we do that quick check of email before we get into that big project, before we make those, those sales calls? Like, let me just check email real quick. You know what? Let me just check the sports score. Are those pain avoidance strategies that we've created? Most people believe if you ask them what's the nature of human motivation, people will tell you some version of uh, the, what we call the pleasure principle, what Sigmund Freud called the pleasure principle. Jeremy Bentham said something very similar, which says that everything that humans do is about the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain, right? Uh, carrots and sticks. We've all heard this before. Neurologically, we know that this is not true. 
that everything we do is not about the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain, but rather, neurologically speaking, everything we do, we do for only one reason, and that is the desire to escape discomfort. Everything you do, even the pursuit of pleasurable sensations, is itself psychologically destabilizing. Wanting, craving, desire, lusting, all of these things, the way the brain gets us to do things is by making us feel uncomfortable enough to get our butt in motion to get us to do something. So once you realize this fact, you realize, therefore, if all human behavior is spurred by a desire to escape discomfort, that must mean, therefore, that time management necessitates pain management. Let me say that again. Time management necessitates pain management. So we talked earlier about trick, or we, we talked about traction and distraction, right? You can picture in your mind this, you know, two arrows pointing to the left and to the right, traction and distraction. They're opposing forces. Now we have to ask ourselves, well, what puts us on the path to traction or distraction? We have two kinds of triggers. So you can think of two arrows pointing to the middle of this intersection between the left and right arrows pointing out uh, to the right and to the left. These two arrows pointing up and down towards the center represent the, the internal triggers and the external triggers. So external triggers, this is what people tend to blame when it comes to talking about distraction. We, play, we blame the pings, the dings, the rings, anything in our outside environment that leads us towards traction or distraction. Turns out, however, that even though we blame these things outside of us, Studies have found that that is only 10% of the reason that you check your phone, the reason you get distracted, is because of any kind of notification or external trigger. 90% of the time, 90, 90% of the time that you get distracted, 90% of the time you check your phone, you're not checking it because of a notification. Studies have found 90% of the time we check our devices because of an internal trigger. What is an internal trigger? An internal trigger is an uncomfortable emotional state that we seek to escape from. Boredom, loneliness, fatigue, uncertainty. Uh, these are uncomfortable feelings that we seek to escape. And so back to this point I, we talked about earlier that all time management necessitates pain management. If you don't understand what is that discomfort, if you keep blaming the external triggers, the phone, the news, the world these days, as opposed to looking at what is the internal triggers by realizing that most distraction by and large begins from within. So the first step to becoming indistractable is to master these internal triggers because whether it's too much news, too much booze, too much football, too much Facebook, all of these overuse behaviors, all of these potential distractions emanate from the same source, which is a desire to escape discomfort. And if we don't deal with that fact first, let me tell you, I've read all the studies, virtually all the studies about time management and focus and distraction, productivity advice, none of the tips and tricks, none of the life hacks, none of the guru's advice works unless you start first and foremost with mastering the internal trigger. That is the most important first step to becoming indistractable. Can we use this philosophy to reverse engineer? Like if we're using email or checking sports scores or, you know, news or booze or football or Facebook, like you said, to avoid pain, but, but that at the same time is also creating pain because we're going at the end of the day, we're going, ah, dang, I didn't get that project done. I didn't get the sales calls done. Right. I worked out like this morning I worked out and 
I went and endured tremendous pain. It was an especially hard workout this morning, but it was because I knew that there was a reason for this pain and I didn't want to deal with the pain of not feeling good today and not being focused for this interview, et cetera. Can we reverse engineer that and say, okay, you know, the reason I'm not going to check emails because I don't want to deal with the pain of not making the sales calls or doing the project or doing the deep work or writing the book, et cetera. Can we reverse engineer that? Sure. So I think it comes, so first and foremost, it's by recognizing that discomfort. You see in, in, in society today, uh, we have bought into this notion that has largely been sold to us by the self-help industry that we're supposed to be happy all the time, right? How many books do we see on the shelf with happiness in the title? How to be happy, how to, you know, how to be contented, how to live in perfect nirvana. Ugh, it drives me crazy because it has inculcated society to believe that feeling bad is bad. That's the problem. We think if we have the slightest bit of discomfort, if I feel a little bit uncomfortable, ooh, that's something I have to escape. The reason we don't do what we say we're going to do, right? The reason we don't work out, even though we know we will, right? We, we don't need any more diet books to tell us to eat right and exercise. Does anybody not know that a piece of chocolate cake is not as healthy as a, a healthful salad? We don't need people to tell us this. <laughs> we know, we all know. Who doesn't know that, hey, if you want good relationships with your kids, with your friends, you have to be fully present with them. Does anybody not know that? If, uh, do we need another productivity book to tell us that, hey, if you want to do really well at your job, guess what? You got to do the work, especially the hard stuff that other people don't want to do. We all know what to do. And if you don't know what to do, Google it, right? For the first time in human history, it's all there. We do not have a shortage of information. What we have a shortage of is the ability to get out of our own way. That's what we're lacking today. And so this is, this is why it's a skill of the century, because if you can do that, if you can get out of your own way and just do the things you yourself know you should do, you're unstoppable, right? That's why it's, uh, I, I call it a superpower. I, I call the book indistractable because indistractable sounds like indestructible, right? It's a made up word. I, I coined the term. It's supposed to sound like that, like that superpower. And the way we do this is by using the internal triggers, using that discomfort as rocket fuel. You know, our species did not evolve to be contented and happy all the time. Think about it from an evolutionary basis, okay? Let's say we had two tribes of, of our ancient ancestors, right? Early Homo sapiens, 200,000 years ago on the plains of the Serengeti, one tribe of Homo sapiens meets the other tribe. One tribe is perfectly happy and contented all the time. The other tribe is us, okay? Our ancestors. Let me tell you what would have happened our ancestors would have killed and eaten that other tribe. Because to be constantly contented doesn't push you forward. We need to be perpetually perturbed to get us to invent, to create. We have to be uncomfortable in order to prod us to do more, right? We can't just meditate all our problems away. Sometimes we need to fix stuff by doing something about it. And so that's why we need to get away from this myth that discomfort is somehow something to be avoided. It's nothing more than a distraction because here's what people do. At the first feeling of discomfort, right, they say to themselves, ooh, I don't feel like it, right? When we talk about, oh, why don't I go to the gym? I don't feel like it. Why don't I work on that project? I don't feel like it. Because we have been taught that feeling bad is bad as opposed to 
If you can recognize that that internal trigger is a signal to tell you, wait a minute, if this feels bad to me, this feels bad to other people. And if I can overcome that, that's a rarefied skill. Now I can do, I can do something that other people cannot do. And if you can use that internal trigger as rocket fuel to propel you forward towards traction, rather than trying to escape it with distraction, this is where you become indistractable. This is what's so powerful about learning this skill. Quick interruption. Hey, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to get the notes, quotes, and links in the action plan from this episode. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action. That's jimharshawjr.com slash action to get your free copy of the action plan. Now back to the show. So I want to explore this a little bit with you because I want to make sure the listener has this clear. You're not talking about saying like we shouldn't be going through our lives saying this sucks. My job sucks. Can't wait to get to that next place. Wait till get there because then I'll be happy, right? You can be grateful and happy in your place now. And I want to hear your take on this. Like you can be grateful and happy in your place now. And you can do all the things, you can do the meditation and the journaling and the positive psychology type stuff and be happy now, but also have a drive. You know, you can feel those longings for that next level, but also be happy in place. And I believe in research shows that doing that, let me give you an example. Today, this morning, I've got two interviews. Uh, I'm interviewing you. I'm interviewing another guy later this afternoon. I'm going to be on another podcast and I have multiple coaching calls today. And my thought this morning was like, man, this is going to be a rough day. It's going to be a long day. And I caught myself and I was like, wait a second. Like, this is an amazing day. A year and a half ago, when you were doing this business on the side, this was the day that you dreamed about. And And it shifted my mindset to like, this is amazing. Like I'm freaking stoked today. And it shifted my whole mindset, shifted me into positivity, made me more happy. And it's making me more present and excited. And this interview is going to be better for it. And so are the other ones later today. So there's a balance there, right? Yeah. So it's really about how you respond to that discomfort. And what I'm trying to convince people to stop doing is to stop looking to escape from that discomfort. Because what most people do, the source of distraction are these negative feelings. So what most people do when they feel, oh, it's going to be another Monday, right? Another crappy day. Let me just uh, check email for a half an hour because I don't really want to do my work, right? Let me uh, procrastinate by watching TV as opposed to going to do that workout. Or let me, uh, you know, scroll Facebook at the dinner table so I don't have to listen to my whiny kids. And then they have the gall to blame the technology. Really, it's the inability to deal with discomfort. So as opposed to escaping it, we can lean into it. We can utilize it. It can be the rocket fuel to push us towards traction rather than distraction. So what you've just done, that technique is actually very validated. There's many studies that show that how we reimagine the trigger can profoundly change our behavior. I had this this problem. So I'm a professional public speaker. Before COVID, I was on the road constantly giving uh, giving talks. And you know, many people are surprised to hear that when I first started in this field, I had terrible stage fright. Right? Because the conversation I would have with myself before I would go on stage was, oh, you know, my my I can feel my heart rate. You know, it's funny, even just telling you the story, I can feel my heartbeat now. My heart is racing. Kind of like stepping on the mat for a wrestling match, right? We talked before that we hit record to be about what you were a wrestler as well. 
Yes, exactly. Like getting all nervous about about uh, you know about to go on stage, and oh my gosh, is the audience gonna see the sweat stains underneath my arms? And am I gonna forget my lines? And you know, if I was a real public speaker, I wouldn't be so tense right now. And that was making it worse because now it started becoming my self-image about how I see my own capabilities. And we hear this narrative all the time, right? I don't really feel like working out. Maybe I'm not an athlete. I don't really uh, enjoy spending time with my kids. Maybe we just have a bad relationships. Why try? My kids are constantly using their devices. They're addicted, right? We make these perceptions of ourselves. We have this self-image that stops us from trying. What a convenient excuse to get us to stop trying. And so instead of trying to label ourselves with an identity that hurts us more than helps us, what we have to do is to reimagine that internal trigger. And you did something very similar and saying, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, I'm, I'm so lucky to have this opportunity. So what I started doing, and I didn't invent this technique, I learned it from uh, psychologists who have done studies on how effective this technique is, is reimagining the trigger. So the internal trigger was my heart was racing, I was getting sweaty, I was getting nervous. So what I used to do was to tell myself how if I was a real public speaker, I shouldn't be having those feelings, right? I was looking to escape them. Well, let me just get out of here. I don't want to do this anymore. This is a bad idea. As opposed to reimagining the internal triggers, now my internal dialogue is, huh, okay, my heart is racing right now because my brain needs more oxygen so I can perform my best, right? This is my body preparing me to deliver the best talk yet. And so by changing those narratives, by talking to myself differently, by reimagining those internal triggers, this is what I mean by being able to use those internal triggers to push us forward towards traction rather than trying to escape it with distraction. Yeah. You got, and it starts with the awareness. Like you, you feel your heart beating instead of just going, oh, I'm nervous. Let me, let me review my lines here and stuff like my notes. It's like, you go, wait a second. Let me be present here in the moment and recognize what's happening. And then tell myself whatever story that I want instead of like the, oh, I'm nervous is, you know, I don't want to blow it. Right. Just decide the story. And, and it starts with awareness. So let me ask you this. So let's go to the email because I noticed this in myself and I have to be very present and very aware of this because what I find myself doing is I don't even know that I do this, but I, I've come to recognize it. I'll complete a task and then I'll check my email inbox. I don't even know that I'm doing it. And I finally get to I'm like, where am I on my to-do list today? I'm not like, can we use that tactic to reimagine the trigger if we recognize it? Absolutely. Absolutely. So the most important step is mastering the internal trigger. And there's three big pillars to mastering internal triggers. We reimagine the trigger, which we talked about earlier. We have to reimagine the task itself and reimagine our temperament. And so there's a whole host of different techniques we can use. One technique that I use almost every single day, uh, this comes from acceptance and commitment therapy. By the way, I keep citing you know these different therapies and techniques. Everything in my book is backed by peer-reviewed studies. I can't stand these self-help books that are full of, oh, personal anecdotes. This worked for me. It's going to work for everyone. No, no, no. I want to see the study. So my book is full of 30 pages of citations to peer-reviewed studies. So this is backed with really good research. So one of the best techniques out there that I use almost every single day is called the 10-minute rule. Have you heard of the 10-minute rule? Just from my research about you. Let's hear it. This is great. Oh, okay, good, good. So I'm a big proponent. So, so you know, every day I write, and writing is hard work. It's not a habit. People think, oh, I want to make a habit of writing. No, no, no. You don't understand what habits are. Habits are behaviors done with little or no conscious thought. It is impossible 
to have a writing habit by definition, because unless you're writing gobbledygook without conscious thought, that's not a habit. It's hard work. A habit is the antithesis of deliberate practice. Deliberate practice requires us to think, to be fully present. So if you go to the gym and you're pushing forward and you're trying to get better, if you know, you're, you're practicing routines uh, in, in, uh, or moves and wrestling, whatever the case might be, you have to be fully present. You can't do that stuff out of habit. You have to be there if you want to get better. You have to be fully present. So it's the antithesis of a habit. So when I write, it's not something I can do with little or no conscious thought. It is hard work. I've written two bestsellers, thousands of articles. It never gets easier. And all I want to do in the middle of my, while writing my articles is to go Google something real quick or check email for a quick sec or just do that one easy thing on my to-do list real quick because writing is such hard work. So what do I do when I get that feeling that I want to distract myself and escape that uncomfortable sensation of, you know, is anybody going to read this article? Is it any good? Is, you know, I don't really know where to go with this. Like when I feel these uncomfortable internal triggers, instead of letting myself get distracted, I tell myself I can do those things. I can get distracted in 10 minutes. This is the 10 minute rule. I can get distracted in 10 minutes. I can allow myself whatever distraction but not right now. So you're not going to tell yourself no, you're going to tell yourself not yet. And this is incredibly effective because we know that strict abstinence oftentimes backfires. So when you tell yourself no, don't do something, whether it's smoking that cigarette, eating that piece of chocolate cake you're trying to avoid if you're on a diet, checking email when you want to work on that big project, it's like pulling on a rubber band. And if you pull it, pull it, pull it, pull it tighter, 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 eventually you can't pull it anymore. You let go the rubber band doesn't go back where it started. No, it ricochets across the room. And that's what happens when we tell ourselves no. That many times abstinence, we've seen this with uh, addictions, abstinence oftentimes does not work. And it doesn't work particularly with, with the kind of things that are around us at all times. We can't escape food. We can't escape technology. It's around us all the time. So abstinence works with some things, but not others. Instead of telling yourself no, what you want to do is to tell yourself not yet. So when I am writing and all I want to do is Google something or check email, I set an alarm for 10 minutes, I put my phone down, and now I have a choice to make. I can either surf the urge, surf the urge acknowledges that you that these emotions are like waves. They crest and then they subside. And so if we can just surf these urges like a surfer on a surfboard, nine times out of 10, by the time that the alarm rings, we won't feel that urge anymore. But in the moment, it feels like we're always going to want that thing really, really bad. But if we just give it a few minutes, those urges crest and then go away. And so that's what this 10 minute rule is all about. Just sitting there for a few minutes, talking to yourself with self-compassion. I teach you exactly how to do this in the book. It's an incredibly effective technique. So that's just one of dozens of different arrows in our quiver, so to speak, that we can utilize whenever we feel these uncomfortable internal triggers bubbling up, but there are many others we can use. But again, all this falls under the rubric of step number one, which is mastering internal triggers. We also have to do step two, three, and four. Step number two is making time for traction. So most people out there use this horrible productivity technique called running your life on a to-do list. Running your life on a to-do list is one of the worst things you can do for your personal productivity. If you Now, I'm not against keeping a to-do list. Let me be very clear. Getting things out of your brain and putting them on a to-do list is a wonderful thing to do. What I am against is people waking up in the morning and saying, ooh, what should I do with my life? What should I do with my time? Let me look at my to-do list. If you look at your to-do list before you look at your calendar, you've already lost 
And there are many, many reasons why to-do lists hurt your productivity that we can go into and what to do instead if we have time. So step number two is making time for traction. Very few people turn their values into time. We talk a good game, but when you look at people's calendar, they have tons of white space, right? Most people have nothing on their calendars, maybe a meeting, a dentist appointment, but how can you call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from? If you look at your calendar and there's very little on it, or more, more to the point, if you haven't planned every minute of your day, how can you say something is a distraction? Everything's a distraction unless you decide in advance how you want to spend your time. You can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. So I teach you exactly how to do that. And it sounds onerous. It sounds like a lot of work. It's not. It's 15 minutes a week. Anyone can do it. And it has been proven to be one of the most effective techniques. Literally thousands of studies have shown how effective this one amazingly simple technique is. Step number three is to hack back the external triggers. So part of our problem with email is that we constantly get all these pings and dings. Well, here's the thing. We can hack back. I can teach you how to reduce the time you spend on email by up to 90% by understanding the deeper psychology around why we keep checking email so compulsively. And then finally, the last step is to prevent distraction with pacts, which is where we erect a firewall, the last line of defense to prevent us from getting distracted. So it's not that there's a magic bullet. People always want, oh, give me the life hack. Give me the one thing I can do. People, don't be lazy. You've got to use all four techniques. And if you do this, if you use all four techniques in concert, and I'm telling you, anybody can do this within an hour and a half of learning these techniques in the book, anyone can become indistractable. It will change your life as it has mine. And for the listener, we're going to have all four of those and everything else in the action plan. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action, as always, to get the notes from this. Neil, let's talk about failure. Like so many of us have failed at trying to be indistractable, right? Maybe we've not put in the effort or read your book or, or read the research or, you know, learned the techniques or applied them in the way that we should. Like, what, what are your thoughts on that? Like for the, for those who have like failed over and over for years at creating consistency and showing up as their best self and, and executing at their highest level that they know is possible, they failed and they keep telling themselves the story that I can't do it. See, there I go again. What's your take on failure in its role in Distractable? It's almost as if you read my diary. <laughs> Look, I wrote this book for me. I wrote this book for me. You know why it took me five years to write Indistractable? Because I kept getting distracted. And it wasn't until I learned these methodologies that, again, I didn't do the original research here. I'm, I'm, I'm standing on the shoulder of giants. I'm giving you 30 pages of citations to peer-reviewed studies. I combed the stacks of study after study to bring you the very most important four strategies that are science-backed to help you become indistractable. And I did this for myself. If other people benefit, that's great. I mean, the book has sold over half a million copies. It's wonderful. I'm so glad it's, it's been helpful. But let me tell you, the most important person I wrote this for was me because I was crazy distracted. I was clinically obese. I was so easily distracted. I, I talk about this anecdote in, in the book, the story of, of when I was with my daughter. And I had this beautiful afternoon planned with my daughter. And, and I was checking my cell phone as opposed to being fully present with her. And that's, that's when I said enough is enough. Right? I have to figure out my relationship with distraction. So that's what propelled me down this journey to do this five years of research. And so here's the thing. Being indistractable does not mean you never get distracted. Okay, I made up the term so I can de define it any way I wish. 
Being indistractable means you strive to live with personal integrity. It means you are as honest with yourself as you are with other people, right? How many of us know that it's a terrible thing to lie to people? None of us want to be liars. People are generally, you know, they, they strive to be honest with other people. And yet we lie to ourselves all the time. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely going to work out today and eat right. No, I didn't. <laughs> I'm definitely going to be fully present with the people I love. No, I wasn't. I'm definitely going to work on that big project I've been putting off. Nah, I can wait till tomorrow. And so I was lying to myself every single day. But here's the difference. A distractible person keeps getting distracted by the same things again and again and again and doesn't do anything about it. Poela Coelho has a wonderful quote. He said, a mistake repeated more than once is a decision. A mistake repeated more than once is a decision. An indistractable person realizes, ah, okay, I see what you did there, distraction. You got me once, but you're not going to get me the second time. You know why? Because every distraction only has three potential sources, an internal trigger, an external trigger, or a planning problem. That's it. There's only three reasons for any distraction. It's always one of those three causes. So I'm going to do something about it now to prevent it happening again in the future. Nir, can you tell us about a time when you failed? Right. We, we look at somebody like you who Stanford MBA and oh, where do we start? <laughs> How much time you got? <laughs> right. I mean, you've sold two companies and, you know, invested in all these amazing companies that have gone on to success. Uh, you've written these best selling books, everything from the outside looking in. It looks like it was easy for you. But was there failure? Is there a moment in time when you can take us back to when you failed and you felt that self-doubt, that hopelessness that comes from failure and how you move through that? When I went to a Stanford Business School, they told us that people who go to Stanford are like ducks, right? On the surface, it looks like a duck on the water is peaceful and relaxed and having a good time. But if you go below the surface, you'll see that they're paddling like crazy, right? Their little legs are paddling as fast as they possibly can. And that's what most successful people are doing, right? Like uh, it, you only see the highlights. You don't see the failures. You don't see the fact that when I started my second company, it was a very rocky experience. It was very, very hard work. Uh, we kept having these highs and lows. We raised $5 million and then, you know, we would have an amazing quarter and then we would have a terrible quarter and our key employee left and I got shingles because I was so stressed that I, my immune system was shot. I gained 20 pounds. I just had a really, really rough time during that startup. Thankfully we, we had an exit and, and things worked out okay, but it was a really, really, really hard time. And it was full of failures. I mean, every day it was like, a, you know, two steps forward, one step back. And so that's part of the process. I mean, you know, I can't tell you how many articles I've published and I said, oh, this is a great post. And I've spent, you know, countless hours on it and I refine it and I tweak it. And then I hit publish and crickets, right? Nobody reads it. <laughs> it makes no impact whatsoever. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. I've had, I've had business failures. I've had personal failures. I've had, I used to be clinically obese. I, it, life, my life is full of these failures. And many of these failures, of course, I talk about in the book. As I mentioned, you know, I wrote Indistractable for me more than anyone else. And so I talk about many of these failures that I overcame because one of my life mantras is consistency over intensity right? Consistency over intensity, that to have the good things that we desire in life, it's not about that intensity, that intensity for some things is good in the short term. But of course, intensity can only last so long because we burn out, 
so people misplace when to use intensity and when to use consistency, right? It's much more important if you want to get in physical shape. Don't be the kind of person who makes a New Year's resolution and goes to the gym for two weeks, right? <laughs> be the kind of person who does a little bit every day for years, right? That's how I lost the weight. That's how I got into shape for the first time in my life at age 43. I'm in the best shape of my life because of consistency over intensity. The reason I have a better relationship with my wife after 20 years of marriage, it's not because I said, honey, we need to fall in love this weekend, right? I know we've had a really rocky relationship, but you know, let's get back together now. It doesn't work that way. It's about consistently showing up, making time for each other, having good experiences together, right? Having those date days, having time on our calendar reserved for each other, picking up the slack around the house so that I could take my fair share of the responsibilities. This is a, a failure in the book that I talk about how, you know, my wife turned to me one day and told me about how, hey, why don't you do your share around the house? You know, there's so much to do. And, you know, many men and women listening to me right now have had this argument. I know this for a fact because the research shows that even in the year 2021, women take on a disproportionate share of household responsibilities, right? As much as we guys like to say, oh, you know, yeah, sure, we pull our weight. We don't, statistically speaking. And I would always tell my wife, you know, if you need me to do something around the house, just tell me, just tell me, I'll do it. And what I didn't realize was that by me saying that, I was asking her to take on yet another job. Now I needed her to be my, my babysitter, essentially. And so it wasn't until we utilized the, the practices I talk about in the book around what's called schedule syncing that our life was changed. I mean, that, talk, that was a personal failure that I, I really did fail my wife and I didn't even realize I was failing her. And today I can proudly say that we have a better relationship than ever because we, we've instituted these practices in our life. Yeah, there's so much more that we can cover, so much more in the book, so much more in the research that you've covered. Where can people continue to learn about you? Where can they find the book, find your website, follow you on social media, et cetera? Sure. So the book is called Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life, and it's available wherever books are sold. And if you go to my website, nearandfar.com, near is spelled like my first name, N-I-R and far.com. So that's nearandfar.com. Uh, there's actually an 80-page workbook that we couldn't fit into the final version of the book, and it's totally yours for free. It's complimentary, and it'll start you on your path to becoming indistractable, whether you buy the book or not. It's there for you for free, and that's all available at my blog, nearandfar.com. Excellent. Thanks so much for making time to come on the show. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you want to apply these principles into your life, let's talk. You can see the limited spaces that are open on my calendar at jimharshawjr.com slash apply, where you can sign up for a free one-time coaching call directly with me. And don't forget to grab your action plan. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action. And lastly, iTunes tends to suggest podcasts with more ratings and reviews more often. You would totally make my day if you give me a rating and review. Those go a long way in helping me grow the podcast audience. Just open up your podcast app. If you have an iPhone, do a search for success through failure, select it, and then scroll the whole way to the bottom where you can leave the podcast a rating and a review. Now, I hope this isn't just another podcast episode for you. I hope you take action on what you learned here today. Good luck and thanks for listening.